welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Anthony Taylor here with the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Today, my guest is Gilad Bernstein, who is the CEO and founder of Utrip. Gilad, how are you today? Wonderful. And yourself? Oh, I'm doing fantastic, phenomenal. We're uh, right in the middle of soccer, World Cup season, so, so life is good. Probably get this uh, a couple months after that, but yeah, life is good. I'm a happy man. So uh, I just want to thank you for, for being on the podcast today. I'm uh, really excited to have a fellow Cascadian Pacific Northwest company on the podcast and uh, just really looking forward to hearing your story. So as a way of getting started, can you tell me a little bit about you, your background and the company that you run? Yeah, absolutely. So as you said, my name is Gilad Berenstein, and it's probably giving away the secret that I grew up in Israel. And my dad is an artificial intelligence architect. And when I tell my story, I always love to share that detail because when I was quite young, I became fascinated with technology and specifically interested in predictive technology and the way that that technology could help us optimize our lives, make better decisions, be happier people. And I've spent the majority of my life thinking about that. Um, fast forwarding, I moved to the States, I moved to Seattle when I was in university. And after doing a very short amount of time in consulting, I started Utrip. And at a high level, Utrip is an artificial intelligence recommendation engine built specifically for the travel space. We combine uh, recommendations from experts on the ground, chefs, artists, historians, etc., with massive data about travel preferences all around the world in order to make trip planning easy, enjoyable, and personal. All right, I got that. It sounds like an up-and-coming technology in a very, very enjoyable and fun space. Absolutely. Travel, I mean, I think, I hope most of your listeners would agree travel is one of the great pleasures in life, and having a trip be personal and unique, I think, is everyone's goal. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, even within that is, uh, in the past couple of years, you know, the amalgamation of the amount of giant travel companies are out there. And it sounds like without, you know, being a cliche, you're, you know, disrupting the space, but use, adding a different type of value proposition to be you know, more customer focus, add more to the customer experience, which in turn will shape the future of the travel industry. Would you say that's accurate? Exactly right. And I would say that technology like U-Trips helps our B2B customers, hotels, airlines, cruise lines, et cetera, to create a truly win-win relationship by focusing on the things that customers care about most, really wonderful travel experiences. They're also able to generate increased conversion rates and through that increased profitability and a really does create a relationship where both sides get what they're looking for. I sort of want to ask you a strategic question, but what I got out of that is, you know, in the process, you have taken this technology, which you have, you know, is one of your core strengths. You are looking at what consumers need and where consumers are going. And then, you know, you're right in the thick of things. Like your company is, you said uh, 20 people or so? Exactly. So you're right in the middle of, you know, growing your company and moving your people along forward and taking technology change and the world changing like head on, right? That's exactly right. Consumers in every other industry, whether we think about retail, e-commerce in terms of retail, content like Netflix, et cetera, are used to receiving and expect personalized results, personalized answers. And that's really lacking in the travel space. And that's what we're trying to tackle at Utrip. That's awesome. So, I mean, within the strategic planning context, because at SME Strategy, we help organizations create their strategic plans. You're really looking at the external environment and moving your company forward based on the trends and, and an adaptive strategy. So, uh, I mean, I, leading into our first question is, 
you know, what are some of your best practices for leading strategy? You've created this company, you're moving your team forward. What are some of the tools in your tool belt that you've used to create a strategy that's adaptive and continues to be adaptive um, in this changing world? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a few things that come to mind as I think about the way that we, we do strategy here at Utrip. Number one that I think is true for any organizations, or at least should be, is you've got to know who you are. And you've got to know what your core is and what you're trying to achieve. Because in any industry, and I think travel is a great example of this, it's very easy to lose focus. And if we think of travel, the needs of a traveler where they take a trip are many. And they come at different times in the life cycle and have different shapes and sizes. And it's very easy for us to get distracted and to try to solve all sorts of different problems in the travel space rather than really being focused on who we are at our core. So number one is we start every strategy meeting, every strategy discussion with reaffirming who are we and what are the core things we are trying to do for our travelers and for our clients. Second, and this is something I borrow from Jeff Bezos of Amazon, but we don't skip steps. I typically believe that when you find a shortcut in a strategy to get from where you are today to that ultimate prize at the end, very rarely is that shortcut actually in your favor. Because what you're giving up by skipping a step or moving further is the learnings, is the insights that you gain by doing those things. So when we create strategy, we try really hard to think through what are the logical steps that we need to go to achieve our goal without skipping the ones that are going to allow us to learn. And the last one I would say is inclusivity and inclusivity of thought. And one of the things that I most believe in is interdisciplinary strategy creation. When we work on whether it's product strategy or business development strategy or whatever it is here at Utrip, we always try to make sure the room has some engineers in it, some product folks, some content writers, some salespeople, some account managers, different types of people who are spending their time in different parts of our business, and they really understand that. And I believe that by bringing in that inclusivity, we end up coming up with better solutions at the end. Got that. So knowing who you are, sticking with your main focus, who are we, what are we here to do? Use strategy speak, it might be your mission. Don't skip steps. So make sure you full go through the process fully and completely with integrity, nothing added, nothing left out. Uh, and number three, making sure that I, I hear two things is one, you know, having a d- inclusivity and diversity of thought. But I also hear that as a practice, you involve the entire organization in the strategic process. And I assert that through that process, people are more bought in and connected to the outcomes because they were actually part of the process that led them to create that. Can you sort of expand on that a little bit? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, and that's where my vision becomes our vision. And ultimately, I am certainly not smart enough to be able to come up with this on my own. And by bringing in people, not only do you get the improved strategy, like I mentioned before, but you get buy-in and you get loyalty and you get people to live a certain way, to have a certain type of culture by bringing them into that process and showing them that they're trusted and valued that I think ultimately pays dividends for years and years to come because it's no longer my business, but it is our business. That's awesome. So, I mean, this is a sort of a leading question, but doing strategic work takes time out of the operational stuff. Would you say that your investment in strategic work pays off in terms of actual like economic dividends, in terms of growth, in terms of business benefit, even though you're not just doing operational type things? Yeah, 100, I mean, 100%. And I would say that this, I'm sure this is true for every business. 
But in the technology space, I think this is hypercritical because technology space is changing so quickly all the time. And new technology being introduced, new use cases, new devices, etc. So ultimately, it is very hard to build a technology business in a reactive fashion. Yeah. You really have to be proactive in the way you think about your development, especially since technology can take a long time to be developed and to be launched. You really have to be thinking about it in the long term. Yeah, absolutely. And I think your business is a technology business, but it's even though we'll call them old school companies, you know, if you're not using technology to enable your processes, enable your people, enable value creation, then your, your competitors will. And it's gonna, you're going to lose out on a competitive advantage there. So, I mean, maybe we can build into that loyalty and what you get from your people in terms of culture. So you're a 20-person technology company in Cascadia, uh, in Washington. You know, tell me a little bit about, like, the culture that you've created and maybe even the culture in the, in the, uh, in the state, if that's applicable. Like, how do you develop culture in your own organization? Yeah, 100%. And it's something that I spend a fair amount of time thinking about. But hopefully, if you hire the right people, you actually don't have to spend a lot of time doing because it's a natural thing and culture, good or bad culture, reinforces itself. So there's three things that I think about when it comes to creating a culture here at Utrip. One is who do you hire? Um, and this is obvious. I think everyone knows this. But there are parts of cultures that can be trained or taught or shown and there's parts of it that come from who you are as a person, the way you problem solve, the way you deal with conflict resolution, et cetera. So at the very beginning, it's about who you hire. And now that we're a little bit bigger, when we go through a hiring process, I typically only interview the last one or two candidates. And my interview is typically non-technical. And I'm really looking for culture fit. So for us, it's about, you know, what are they looking to do? What do they get excited about in their career and their future? And of course, how do they think about travel and what, what excites them in travel? So first is who you are, hire. Second is how do you structure agendas and conversations? And ultimately, that goes to the core of the culture you're building. Do you ask people to come with numbers, with data when presenting ideas? Do you ask people to pre-brief and pre-read? making those meetings a little bit more structured, a little bit more rigid? Do you like to run meetings that have a lot of brainstorming built into them? There's no right or wrong answer in the way that you set up these agendas and these conversations, but the things that you prioritize in kind of the structure of your main strategy conversations is ultimately going to have a huge impact on your culture and the way that people, and the way that people interact when you're not in the room. And lastly, and related, is how do you talk about decision-making? Are decisions made by people with a senior title? Are decisions made by people with experience? Are they made by people with data? Are they made through building consensus? There's all sorts of types of decision-making. And I'm not advocating that one of these is necessarily right and one of these is necessarily wrong, but the type of decision-making that you show and that you demonstrate within your company is also going to have a massive impact on the culture you've built. And the last thing I'd say is I heard the CEO of a, a local company here called Aptio um, make a comment probably a year ago or so where I'm probably going to butcher his, his beautiful language. Uh, but he basically said that a culture is the total sums of decisions made and the way that those decisions are made when you're not in the room. And I think that's a really good way to think about culture. Yeah, I would 100%. And I'll just say agree. one more thing. 
And I'll just say one more thing. Culture, I think everyone listening probably knows this. Culture is not the furniture you have at the office. It's not how fancy your beer cart is. It has nothing to do with any of those things. It's the way you behave. It's the way you make decisions. It's the expectations you have of yourself and others. That's what makes up culture. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as a, as a leader, for you to be successful in it, it takes it out of your hands. I think that was the biggest note I took is like, what happens when you're not in the room? And, you know, there's a lot of CEOs out there that spend so much time firefighting or dealing with complaints. But, you know, creating a culture actually empowers your people to have those clear expectations and make those decisions in line with, you know, the organizational norm. In a strong culture, those are not your expectations as the CEO. These are group expectations that we've all set out for ourselves because this is a joint vision and a joint culture. And that's actually how you build a successful business. Any business that needs a CEO to be in the room to make good decisions is not a scalable business. Yeah, no, I got that. Uh, what I was going to say was it's like when you go to somebody's house and you either take your shoes off when you come in or you don't. If you wore your shoes inside in a no-shoes household, like somebody would tell you, and like that's like the expectations and exactly to your point that it gets like created by people. So, I mean, as an access, so using culture as an access to performance, how do you, and this is, you know, you specifically, Gilad, take strategy and performance and align the two? And then how does that get sort of built off out of your culture? Yeah, I think aligning performance and incentives with strategy is very complicated. And this year I was at Berkshire Hathaway's annual meeting in Omaha uh, a few months ago, where Warren Buffett spoke about everything that happened at Wells Fargo with the fake accounts and all the, all the bad stuff that they did over there. And he joked and said, the Wells Fargo example is a great example of the power of incentives and the importance of aligning the performance you want your customer, your, your employees, excuse me, to have with your overall strategy. So A, I want to say that I think this is really important and something that I'm certainly not the world expert on, but I spend a lot of time thinking about. And the startup, I do have a bit of an easier path because every single one of our employees here at Utrip has equity in the company. And the nice thing about equity is equity is always long-term facing. It's not a bonus. It's not a commission. It's not even a wage. And that on its own has a very big, it's very powerful. Um, and not only does it create this aligned culture and aligned, aligned vision that we spoke about before, but it also forces your employees to act in the best interest of the company as a whole, rather than their department, their division, or their performance review around the corner, because they know that with equity, we all win together, we all lose together. So I think that that is a huge opportunity. And I know that if you're not a startup, it can be more difficult to give equity in a business. But I think there's other ways to think about long-term rewards, whether it's long-term profit share or other things like that, that can create those same types of long-term incentives. The second thing is when we create performance expectations and with that um, KPIs, key performance indicators that we track for each one of our teams, we do that in conjunction with the strategy conversation at the top. When we finish setting out, maybe it's our annual product strategy or our sales strategy or whatever it may be, at the end of that conversation, we immediately begin to discuss how we're going to measure success in that strategy. And ultimately, from there, it becomes a lot easier, A, to measure your employees, but B, to get your employees to be bought in and to make sure that those metrics are actually the right metrics to be measured. So those are the two things that we try to do. It's align through equity and make sure that we talk about these performance indicators at the same time we talk about the strategy 
So it doesn't feel, you know, like it's being brought up from above, but we all came up with it together. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it sounds like that aligns perfectly with your culture of understanding what the expectations are. People know what they're being graded on, but, you know, against these KPIs. So then they know those KPIs totally. are going to align with their performance and it's clear. So when it comes to actually measuring performance, which is, you know, the fourth stage of, of strategic planning, then it's like, oh, you're either performing or you're not. It's not like a Oh, I th- I feel like you're not doing your job. It's uh, no. Here's the goal. Exactly right. And you didn't do them. Exactly right. I think it's always important to have both quantitative and qualitative measures. You look at something like sales, for example. There isn't a part of sales that is out of your control, especially as an early company that is not operating a giant sales operation and giant marketing funnel to to bring leads into the process. So I think it's always important to have both qualitative and quantitative measures. And for us, for example, one of the qualitative measures we always look at is ownership. And does this member of the team take ownership for this company? And again, I think it's easier if you have joint vision, joint culture, and equity compensation for people to take ownership over things they do. But we always measure that. And we always try to say, how long did problems sit around before someone tackled it? Did people walk by, you know, we think about you know, a, a stupid example, but you think about, you know, the dishes sitting on the table, you know, in the conference room. And how many times did you walk by without picking those up and just dropping them off from the kitchen or something like that, but focus a little bit more about the core business itself? Those types of things, I think, incentivize employees in the long term and align the strategy with the performance. Yeah, absolutely. Do you mind if I ask, I mean, in terms of your or your values and your culture and that stuff, do you have an articulated set of values, expectations, and behaviors that everybody can reference, or how do you do that? We do, and it's obviously not as formal as you're going to see at Microsoft or Google or some big company, but we do, and we think about, you know, and some of them we borrowed from our good friends at Amazon down the street because I think they've got some things very well, uh, very right within their company, but one of them is bias for action. But I'm a strong believer that waiting is very rarely the right answer for a startup and not letting the end, you know, what's the saying, not letting the perfect be the enemy of the good, or I'm probably butchering that saying, but that concept is something that I really believe in. So one of them is bias for action. One of them is ownership. One of them is consumer experience. We have a huge focus on the traveler experience because we fully believe this goes back to our, to our, our overall strategy. We fully believe that if customers, travelers have really great experiences, then they become loyal to those brands and end up spending more money with them. So we have a real focus on that experience. And the last one is personalization. Everything we do has to be about personalized experiences. Otherwise, it is not in focus for us. So those are just a few of the behaviors and values that we think about as a company. That's awesome. And, you know, for the managers and leaders that are listening, you know, that's a perfect example of creating values doesn't need to be complicated. It just, there's a word and then there's an explication of what it means. And those are the, you're either doing it or not doing it. And those are the things that you can support the kind of behaviors that you want. And it creates a world where the behaviors that are not in line with that can't really live. It's like an atmosphere that just, they don't survive in that. So if you're not living those values, exactly. you're probably not a good fit to work at Utrip or, or whatever organization it might be. A hundred percent. And I think if you're the CEO or the manager or in any area of leadership or responsibility, obviously your number one job is to outwardly live these values yourself. It is not reasonable for you to not live those values and to expect your employees to do so. I think the era of do this because I'm your boss 
long, long, long gone. And I think today all employees are looking for leadership by example. So I think it's not only important to have those, but the best way for employees to learn them is watching your behavior. Absolutely. So, I mean, you've alluded to a couple and, and one of them just now, but, you know, what are some of the risks to avoid? What are some of the things that you definitely don't want to do or, or, or one of the sort of uh, stumbling blocks that you found in developing strategy or what you've seen in your time as, a, as an advisor in different organizations? What should they not do? Yeah, so some of them are the opposite of what I already said. You know, so you should never <laughs> skip steps. You should, you should always uh, be focused and know who you are. But one of the ones that I think happens a lot, especially at smaller companies, is it's always hard to tell the noise from the signal because ultimately as a, as, as a small company, you typically don't have enough data and enough examples coming in for you to really be able to have these massive data models that are statistically significant to tell you the answer. And often you have to do some detective work combining whatever data you do have available with your instinct and understanding of the industry or the customer type. So ultimately, we spend a lot of time trying to make sure we understand the difference between a true signal and noise. And I want to even click on that just one more time and to say that you really have to be self-critical and you really have to ask yourself when these individual data points become lines and become signals, because it's very easy to be fooled and it's very easy to go down the wrong path. And if you do that at strategy level, it might be weeks or months or years before you catch up to that mistake. And, and the cost of that might be, you know, might be irreversible. So that would be the one thing I would really add here. Just really ask yourself, what data am I looking at in this decision? And is this enough to constitute a trend versus a couple data points or at worst, even just noise? So those are some of the things that we think about. Got that. And again, you know, this is coming from a data guy who was born from a data guy. So I get that that's like exactly. the view that you look at the world and, and what you bring to, to the, I mean, really to the table and it is at the core of your organization. So I totally get that, you know, really look at what is so versus what you think is happening and making sure that you do your due diligence to make the right decisions. And I think also, you know, in, in the vein of having your team come through the processes, you might see everything through your lens, but when you get everybody else at the table to share their perspectives, then you can get a more complete picture, which means you make better decisions. You still might be wrong, but at least, you know, everybody, you, you did everything you could to gather the data and make the best decision possible in that moment. And then creating an agile strategy process, you know, allows you to, to really track that, track the data and see what's working, what's not working and, and where you need to readjust if necessary. It's exactly right. It's the fact that that diversity of thoughts is incredibly important and lack of diversity of thought, I think is, you know, dooms you, even if you get lucky and you make the first few decisions right, Without diversity of thought, diversity of experience, you're not, you are betting, you're gambling that your life experience is going to be good enough to fit the needs of a, of a large customer base out there. So I think diversity of thought is incredibly important. And I can look at my own experience at Utrip and how hard it is, even if you think the people around you are diverse, how hard it is to really get out of that circle and to understand people who are not like you, who don't live in your hometown, who don't work in your industry. 
that is a lot harder to achieve than it might sound, but that is your job as a leader in strategies to really make sure that you bring these diversity, diversity of opinions into the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I've heard some uh, groups go as far as even if you have that same sort of homogeny of thoughts and opinions, that one person or two people purposely play devil's advocate or look at red team. So you get to challenge every single 100%. idea. 100%. Yeah, and then really get to the, the uh, bottom of I each totally question. I was saying, if you find that your leadership team agrees on everything, you've got to shake up your leadership team. They're not bringing you much value if you all see the world exactly the same way. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, unlike a Facebook echo chamber, you've got to make sure that you have uh, <laughs> differences of opinion coming across your desk. So ultimately, you can exactly. make the best decision possible. So. That's awesome. So as we finish up here, Gilad, you know, is there anything else that, you know, we've heard a lot about your process, about how you're, you approach things, but is there anything else that you would recommend to a CEO or manager leading strategy as like a next step for, for what they can do to, to move their organization forward? Yeah, I'm sure this is something that every one of your listeners already knows. Um, but, you know, the saying, eat your own dog food, be your own user, be your own customer. It's so easy to lose that. But that's the number one piece of advice I have. We've spent a first year working on U-Trip before I ever took a trip using a U-Trip system. And when I did, I learned a hundred things that I would not have come up with on my own if I didn't actually go on a trip. And it wasn't enough to use utrip.com from the office. You know, that's one of those things where you have to put yourself in the same position your customers are actually in. So when I sat in my office and played with U-Trip and tested the system, the results I was getting, the feedback I was, I was creating in my own mind was biased because I wasn't out there on the streets. I didn't feel the frustration when things were too far apart or I showed up to something when it wasn't open. You really have to have that real experience. So now I make sure that at least twice a year I take a U-Trip trip. And often they're small. They're just small cities in Washington State or in, or in BC that are in the neighborhood. And I make sure that every one of our employees takes at least one trip a year using the system. And again, they don't have to be, you know, we all dream of going to Italy or, or Japan or whatever, but they don't have to be huge and lavish for you to be able to have those learnings. So that's something I would recommend to all CEOs and all managers. Eat your own dog food. Use your own products in the environment that your customers use them. And then you will learn more than you thought possible. That's awesome. And if I could issue a challenge to our listeners is, you know, what Gilad is saying is, you know, it's not going to happen anyway. Like, it's great to hear it. It's great to, like, digest it. But I really challenge you to schedule it in your calendar, to put a day in your work, like, right now, and say, I am going to do this. And Galad, you do it one or two times a year. It's not that hard, but that's the thing that makes a difference for your entire organization to have that learning. So all of you guys out there, I challenge you to schedule doing exactly what Galad suggests in your calendar right now. And I'd love to hear feedback on how it goes, what kind of things you get out of it. So you can send that information to info at SME strategy. And we'd love to hear what you say, because Galad, I think that's so, so important, uh, especially in a time and space where customer's experience is the number one in a hyper-competitive world. If you're not eating your own dog food, well, I don't know what to say about that. It's just not good. So, <laughs> uh, Exactly right. Awesome, Gilad. How can uh, people get a hold of you? utrip.com if you're a traveler, utrippro.com if you run a hotel, an airman, or a cruise line. Fantastic. And so I don't get it wrong. How do you pronounce your last name? Berenstein, like the bears. Perfect. 
Thank you so much, Gilad. It's been such a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, I've been chatting with Gilad Berenstein, who is the CEO and founder of Utrip. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. And until next time. Thanks so much for joining us on today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any other future podcasts. Also, if you know someone in your network that might benefit, please give it a share either through social media or through direct text link. Really helps us help more people, which is what we're up to here. One final thing I'd like to mention is that if you or someone in your organization is getting ready to lead the strategic planning process for 2019, be sure to check out our course and starter kit on how to create a strategic plan. It'll walk you through each individual step of the planning process with video walkthroughs, downloads, templates, and everything you'll need to create a clear and easy to understand strategic plan. It'll help set your team up for success. It will teach them the best practices on how to look inside, outside, look at trends, and to set clear goals that are easy to understand and easy to get by into. You can get access to all the videos, all the documents instantly if you visit smestrategy.net slash course. Once again, my name is Anthony Taylor. This has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Super glad to be able to share with you. Thanks so much for listening.